welcome to episode eight of Stories of Strange Women. Uh, we're your hosts. I'm Tanya Hurley. And I'm Tracy Hurley-Martin. And today we have the pleasure of welcoming Christine Vachon. She is a founder of Killer Films. and She's a true trailblazer and a legend. In the world of cinema. And we were very grateful that she, she came out here to Park Slope. To talk to us today. Yeah, she's somebody that we've looked up to. Yeah, for um, a very long time. We love we, her work. We love her films. Everything she does, we we are there. Our butts are in the seats. <laughs> so, yeah, she's, she puts our butts in seats. Yeah, she's she's an incredible person. If you don't know who she is, she um, has produced such amazing works as uh, Far from Heaven, which was nominated for four Academy Awards, I think. Um, Boys Don't Cry, Academy Award winner. Uh, One Hour Photo with Robin Williams. That was an amazing film. Mm-hmm. Um, Hedwig in the Angry Inch, Velvet Goldmine, Happiness, I Shot Andy Warhol, Infamous, Mildred Pierce, Still Alice, Carol, which was nominated um, for Best Picture, Academy Award for Best Picture, and, and soon to be released Wonderstruck. Their Which first talked to her a little bit about. Film. Yeah, I'm very I'm excited to see that one. I cannot wait to see this film. Yeah. October 20th. Is it That's the release date, yes. Yeah, and she is, um, like we were talking about, she's somebody that we've, we followed her particular career, and it's rare to follow a producer's career. Yeah, we fangirl. Yeah. <laughs> fangirl her. <laughs> Um, yeah, we, uh, when we moved to New York, we, we, you know, our world opened up quite a bit and, um, we saw, we started to see independent film. Yeah. Um, even though we were in the Pittsburgh filmmakers mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh, it yeah. really opened up when we moved here and yeah, we went, started going to the Angelica, which Christine hates because yeah. they have really uncomfortable seats, but we're not going to get into that. <laughs> Um, we love we. But we, we started making our own films and watching these '90s indies um, yeah. in the theaters, and we were. It was it was a great time. And she was a person that really, you know, she 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 would, you know, independent. Not in the sense that she would get independent money, um, but she was picking material that's controversial, mm-hmm. um, even to this day. And intimate, and mm-hmm. she's really she raises the bar every single film she makes, mm-hmm. from the material she chooses, how she, how she does it. Um, yeah, working I mean, with Todd Haynes she, a lot. She, it, she makes like it's like art. I mean, when you when you're going to see a killer film, you're you know you're like yeah, I told her your your soul will be fed in some way. Yeah. When you walk out of that of that theater, in you fact, leave with something. Yeah, Indie Wire just did a list of the best the best LGBTQ movies of the 21st century and three of killer films are on it. Um, Carol, Boys Don't Cry, and Far From Heaven. So, I mean, she's a legend. Yeah. And it was an honor to have her. Yeah. Um, we, you'll get a lot out of this interview if you're a film buff. Um, even if you're even not. Even if you're not. Um, just at her persistence and how she's still in the game. And in a being big, an entrepreneur. In a big way. Yeah. She's a, she has staying she's power. a big player. Yeah. And she, she keeps it... I mean, I, I hate to use this tag. I don't know if the kids are still saying it, but she keeps it real. <laughs> They're not. She's not Okay. Um, <laughs> so fo- please follow us on Instagram at Stories of Strange Women and on our Facebook page, Stories of Strange Women, and share your stories and nominate a strange woman in your life. We'd love to hear their stories. And uh, our website is www.storiesofstrangewomen.com, and we beg you to to subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you feel uh, generous, <laughs> write a review. We would love that. So without well, further ado, what do ado, they say? Rate and review. Rate and review. Yes. <laughs> so without further ado, Christine Vachon. Today we welcome um, Christine, and we are thrilled to have you here. We're both huge fans. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, if we both uh, had your book, A Killer Life, in 1997, we would have both ended up in very different places. <laughs> I think so, yeah. Um, this book, both of them, but particularly this one, as an insider account of being a film producer, an independent film producer, 
in every aspect of the work is would be life changing for us. I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, we gave it a shot, <laughs> <laughs> like everybody, but especially during that time in New York and how you're still doing it um, at your own way on your own terms. All right, more or less. I mean, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I just want to start with how you became you, because it is a magnificent piece of work you are. Mm-hmm. So you grew up in the Bronx? No, on 119th Street and Riverside Street. Drive, which is, I guess it's technically the Upper West Side or Harlem, depending on on who you talk to. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I guess, I guess the best, I, it's right near Columbia University. Okay, so um, what was it like in that area at that time? I mean, where, was it more of a university feel, or was it no? It now, was gritty? now it's more. Now I think Columbia, you know, as NYU is eating up all of downtown, I believe Columbia is eating up all of uptown. So when I was growing up there, they hadn't quite swallowed up the entire neighborhood yet. I mean, you know, New York was gritty. I, I, I guess the neighborhood that I grew up in was at that time largely Irish and Puerto Rican. And, uh, and that was, you know, that was reflected in the stores and the restaurants and, and, um, and a lot of that now feels pretty generic, mm-hmm. you know, I think, but I think a lot of the upper, upper west side has been, um, kind of swallowed up by big box stores. Like everywhere. Right. Yeah. Or big box stores that have then gone bankrupt. So now there's just a whole lot of empty space. Yeah. I was just up there for the Mark Ryden ballet and it was a different world up there than when we moved in the 90s even then I mean there's a century 21 up there and it's just really like a mall yeah but um so growing up did you your dad was a visual artist he was a photographer he would never have called himself a visual artist he was a photojournalist okay and he really came from like the old school of like you know, you point the camera, you press the button, why is it an art form? Now, I don't agree okay. with him, I, or, you know, he's been dead for a very long time, but, and his pictures, I think, are really extraordinary, but that's certainly how he felt. Yeah, and he traveled a lot mm-hmm. on, on location. Yeah, he worked for Look Magazine for many years until they folded. Oh, wow. Okay, and then um, your mom was French? She both. was, and she uh, was a professor of French at various, you know, an adjunct at various schools in and around New York, uh, like FIT, SUNY Purchase. But then she ended up getting a job at the United Nations and eventually taking over their whole French language department. Wow. That's extraordinary. Do you speak French? You know, when pressed. Yeah. (laughs) We won't press you. Um, so you grew up and you, you were Catholic, correct? We, I grew up Catholic, but like, you know, I mean, it wasn't that heavy handed. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I had to identify myself as a religion back then, I would have said Catholic. Mm-hmm. I certainly don't now. Did you go to church? Did you have to go to church? I, I mean, had to do the first communion and confirmation stuff. And how did that, do you think that affected you? Because your first sh- film that you directed, correct, was... The right, Wicked. right. Yeah. Um... Which was in Sundance, correct? The Way of the Wicked was in yeah. Sundance. Okay. Yes, yes, it was. You know, I think it just was, um, I mean, there's, you know, there's something, uh, I, you know, it's hard to separate the good and bad part, and I kind of get angry at people, especially gay and lesbian people, who still, you know, stick with the Catholic Church and say, you know, but there is some good in it, because I just think a religion that discriminates so actively against, you know, who you think you are, who you say you are, is, uh, I, I don't, you know, I think it's like, you know, it's like joining the clan. I mean, it's just, all of that said, there was a mysticism uh, about it when I was a kid that was kind of, um, that was kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. And the ritual and, the, and, and all of that, the sort of the storytelling of it was, right. what, was what interested me. Right, yeah, because um, I feel the same way, and I wrote a trilogy about it, um, the the art in the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. and growing up seeing, you know, a woman stepping on a snake's head. And right, what, I mean, Stations of the Cross. Right. The whole, yeah. So that really penetrated your kind of... I guess it must have. Yeah, because you're a visual artist. I mean, you, would you consider yourself... I consider myself an artist enabler. I, I really, honestly, I... I'm flattered when people say that, you know, 
I'm an artist and I certainly, you know, there's that term creative producer and people bandy around the term creative producer as opposed to financial producer as opposed, and it's like, uh, you know. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, I try and help the filmmakers I work with see their way clear to their best work. Mm -hmm. And that said, I also have very strong opinions on, you know, on, on what, what we do, why we do what we do, like why we choose this script over that script. But if I was gonna meddle really in a kind of granular way with the vision of the filmmaker, then I sh shouldn't be making that film. You know what I mean? In other words, we get behind somebody's vision and we try and help steer the ship. Sometimes the filmmaker needs to be reminded what their vision is, you know, mm -hmm. that happens. Right. And, um, but we're getting behind the vision from the beginning. Mm -hmm. But then we can still have plenty of opinions about the cast and the, and the cut and the, and the dialogue, you know, all of that. But I guess it comes down to what I'm trying to say in a, in a sort of ham-fisted way is when you, a successful movie is, in my opinion, is when everybody is making the same movie. And you'd be surprised how often that doesn't happen. I'm just you're so impressed because I, you know, the way that you manage that, the the way that you manage the chaos from being able to look at it like a visual right. artist, being able to look at it like an accountant, um, right. you know, maybe that's informed by the way you grew up and, you know, and your sister taking you to the film collective, right. Gail. Right. Right. Shout out to Gail. Right. And, um, she lives in Brooklyn. Does she? Oh, yes. And you don't visit Gail. Occasionally, but, you know, what can I say? Anyway. There's, a, there's plenty of people in the world who are Brooklyn proud so that I don't have to be. Well, we lived in Manhattan for quite a while. Yeah. Everyone who leaves, who leaves Manhattan always says that they like Brooklyn better, and everyone who's still in Manhattan doesn't believe them. That's just the That's way it true. is. Yeah. That's true. That's just the way it is. That is true. So I'm know. moving back into the village. My house is going mm -hmm. to be up on the market. You're I excited like to go back. But you're like excited both. to go back. Yeah, I'm going to jump yeah. back into the pool. Yeah. It's just one of those, like... I'm not a fan. It's just one of those true, you know, one of those truisms of New York. Yeah. Yeah, but now they say if you can't afford Brooklyn, move to Manhattan. Well, there's some part. I mean, if I was looking now, there are some parts of Manhattan that I think are, are, uh, are some, I mean, affordable is such a, you know, it's yeah. like, by whose standards? Yeah. You know, by a New Yorker's standard. By a New Yorker's standard, yeah. which is just ludicrous. Yeah. Um, it so, is insane. Uh, affordable, with yeah. big quotation marks, you know, like the Upper Upper East Side. Um, which I can't do. And the mm -hmm. Lower Lower East Side. Which I, I would do. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, those are the places I would work I was at. happiest living down there. Yeah. It's yeah. still really cool, I have to it say. It is down there. You know, the, well, I assume you've been to the Metrograph. No. Oh, my God, you got to go what to the Metrograph. The Metrograph is this theater on Ludlow Street, but really almost that canal, like it's almost and in an area that they call Two Bridges because it's between the two bridges. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And this guy, you know, renovated this old theater and is showing a lot of 35-millimeter oh, prints. Heard of it. Oh, really? And, um, and I'll tell you one of the most exciting things is they, they get a great audience. I mean, people mm -hmm. are showing up. We showed, they showed, not we showed, they showed Carol in 35-millimeter, mm -hmm. and they kept having to add show after show after show because it was just selling out. And um, they did a retrospective of queer films of the 90s, and obviously... You know, a lot of them were mine. Mm -hmm. So I came and did a bunch of Q&As. Now, in my experience in the past, like when we show Poison somewhere, for example, if Todd shows up, there's a crowd. But if it's just, mm -hmm. you know, if Todd isn't there, most people have seen it. They have their DVD, they whatever, you know. Yeah. So usually it's like a few people show up and I do a Q&A, etc. I couldn't believe how many people showed up at the Metrograph, you know. Wow. And they were a lot of like young people seeing it for the first time. It was really inspiring. It's a great place. So I can't believe I don't know about it. And the best bar and restaurant. Really? Yes. So you can go have a drink, see your movie, you know. Wow. So Yeah, we're gonna check that yeah, out. Yeah, it's awesome. But um getting back to you yeah, know sorry. you Okay, so you wear all of these different hats. You began sinking dailies. Yes. 
for for Bill Sherwood. Yeah, I mean, parting on parting glances, glances, no less. Yeah, um, and I'm in it. Really? If you watch Parting really? Glances, because he made everybody be in the party scene, because he didn't have enough right. extras. Oh, wow. So I'm there trying very hard not to look at the camera, which means I'm sort of... Which means you're looking at the camera. I'm looking, like, with intensity at, at somebody else, yeah. and I have a mullet. Wow. So We'll have to blow that up. Yes, exactly. For the listeners. That's going to be on the website. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And Sinking Dailies, it was sort of a... Well, let me back up for a second. Parting Glances was uh, was an extraordinary experience because it really opened my eyes to the idea that um, that you could make a film that was that uh, that whose voice was so specific mm-hmm. and because I really th- you know at that time I thought like Hollywood films were kind of you know they were still there was still some amazing it was the time of the beginnings of you know, Coppola and Scorsese. Mm -hmm. And and so there were some extraordinary Hollywood movies being made. And it felt like the alternative was experimental films, which were, you know, like vigorously anti-narrative and really not my cup of tea. And I would go see them. And my sister Gail actually was a little like, let me explain to you why you should appreciate them. But I wanted to go to the movies to be entertained. But I also thought... I just, I didn't see that middle, I didn't see what, you know, was what we call independent film. I wasn't exposed Mm -hmm. to it so much. Foreign films, yes. I mean, because back in those days, if you said to somebody you were going to go see an art film, you meant something with subtitles. Right. So that was, and there were many theaters in walking distance of my house. Uh, A lot of, of, you know, um, what do you call it, Um, repertory theaters. Mm -hmm. uh, like um, the Thalia, which is still there, but also the Regency, and 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 then there was the Olympia, which was one of those you know fourplexes or sixplexes I can't remember that showed you know second run films for a dollar, so mm-hmm. we would just go see whatever was there. So and what what did you what did you find in film at, at a young age that you that really resonated? Kept, yeah, resonated I with think you it was of? just that you know there is still something to this day of like when you go. Into a, to see a movie and there's that sense of giving yourself over to the experience completely. It's like you're stranded, you're stuck. It's not like you can press pause and go to the bathroom or get another glass of wine or, or rewind because you didn't hear what he said or what yeah, have you. Yeah. It's really that sense of like, okay, I'm just handing myself over to this experience. And I think, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a, an intense cliche but the four, I saw the 400 blows when I was exactly the right age to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like a young adolescent. And I really was blown away by the idea that a, a film could feel that personal. And I hadn't seen anything like it before, mm-hmm. you know. But we would also, like me and, and my best friend, would go through t- a TV guide, for example, because... You know, we couldn't record movies, and we couldn't rent movies. Mm-hmm. So we would circle the movies that we were desperate to see for whatever reason, and sometimes they were on at 2 a.m. I mean, right. sometimes it was like Night yes. of the Living Dead, which right. mm-hmm. one time it was Night of the Living yeah. Dead. You know, or an obscure movie that just had some element in it that appealed to us, and we'd stay up and watch it. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, and then there was also, if you're a New Yorker, there was um, Every Day at 4 O'Clock, Million dollar movie. Mm-hmm. And I think every city has their own it? version yeah. of that. I forgot. I'm sure. And then we also had, which also I'm sure every city had its version of it, Chiller Theater. Yes, yeah. Chilly, Chilly Billy. Billy. Yeah. And, uh, but you guys had, who was the host of yours? Vincent Price. Yeah. Yeah. We had Chilly Billy. <laughs> Different. So it was, but, you know, and often. Well, they had Vincent Price. Often the movies were dreadful. But then every yeah. now and then that, you know, some programmer was like, this sounds like a horror movie. I don't know what it is. And you'd be watching some like strange French film, you know, where yeah. the monster wasn't really a monster. And uh-huh. it was just, you know, you just never knew. Yeah. So back to Parting Glances, I felt, you know, Bill personified for me this film that was incredibly personal and uh, very the content was not anything that Hollywood would ever make in a million years, but it was, it needed production. Mm-hmm. It was narrative. It mm-hmm. was, you know, um, and this idea that you could take that that art form that seemed to be in a different world and make it your own 
and he was telling such a personal story was really, uh, you know, was, was almost like a light bulb went off. Mm. And then, of course, you know, there were all these people doing that at the time. There was Jim Jarmusch, there was Spike Lee, there was mm -hmm. Betty Gordon. Um, and suddenly, and the other thing that I think people don't ever put together with what was going on is MTV. Because suddenly MTV appeared and they needed music videos. Because at that mm -hmm. time, that's all it was. It wasn't teen pregnancy. Right. It was yeah. music video, music video. And you music sat video. there and watched until your video came on that you wanted to see. That's right. And then an hour yeah. later, it probably came on again. Yeah, exactly. So, at the beginning, especially. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So a lot of, you know, filmmakers, like a lot of people, like kind of, you know, cool downtown art people mm -hmm. were suddenly working on music videos. Yeah. And I worked on a ton of them, you know? Did you? Such I, as? Um, mm. I worked on one by Simple Minds. If you sang the song, I could tell you what it was. I can't remember Alive exactly. Alive and Kicking. No. I worked on... I think, you know, various bands that I don't really remember anymore. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I wasn't, on, like I was a location scout for a couple of videos that um, the director Michael Oblomowitz did, and I don't mm -hmm. remember what they were. So I didn't, okay. I, I found the locations and then I didn't, uh -huh. I wasn't on the set mm -hmm. anymore. Okay. So, so you've done everything. You've yeah. Done. The back end, but, but yeah. the great thing about music videos is they were such a good training ground. You know, yeah, and I mean back then you had Warhol and in, in, in the MT on the MT yeah, on MTV was and like, Laurie Anderson. Wow, this is so cool. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool mm -hmm. in, in the beginning. Yeah, and it was like, oh, I have a great idea. Let's put the band, you know, in the middle of Central Park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they can be on a big... boat in the reservoir. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, yeah. but it was it was um, so that so that. Then, you know, a lot of these, um, a lot of some of the other films I worked on, there wasn't a big industry presence, like, in, in New York at that time, but I worked on a couple of New Line horror movies that did their second units in New York. Mm -hmm. uh, so I got sort of more, you know, professional experience doing that. Mm -hmm. And um, just started to get a sense of, you know, how a film set And this worked. is all before you directed your short film? I think I directed it around that time. Around the time, yeah. okay. So, so when did you make the leap from director to producer? Produce? I started a company with Todd Haynes and Barry Ellsworth, uh, I think in 1988, called Apparatus Productions, which um, we started with some, Great. Of Barry's, <laughs> some of Barry's family money. Mm -hmm. And our goal was to be sort of a conduit, sort of, partly a grant-giving company and partly a production company. Um, and people would submit short film scripts to us that, um, that they wanted to direct, mm -hmm. and we would choose two or three of the best and produce them. So we did that for about two years, and uh, the Metrograph actually just showed a bunch of them. They just got restored. <sighs> uh, one, you know, one of the best ones is um, called He Was Once, Mm -hmm. uh, directed by Mary Hestand, which I think you can find somewhere online, which is kind of a takeoff on that old Saturday morning cartoon, Davy and Goliath. Oh, yeah. It's really, it's oh, really yeah. good. Really? Um, but they're all really fun. I wonder what um, the take is. Uh, anyway, during that time, Todd Haynes was working on his, you know, what is considered his first film, although I think he'd made a couple of movies throughout his life including some where he played the fairy godmother in Cinderella. Um, but uh, he was making Superstar. Mm -hmm. And I had some editing room experience, so I was helping him in the edit room. And, um, and I went to the sound mix with him, because he'd never been to one before. Mm -hmm. And I'd been to like two, so I was mm -hmm. the expert. You, yeah. And um, I remember just being astonished by the movie and really thinking to myself, okay, that's it. I've been, I've been making these movies, I'm really proud of them, but I feel with Superstar, which I didn't make, that this is genuinely, it's, it's beautiful, you know, it's beautifully made, it's provocative, it's original, and it's absolutely and completely entertaining. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right, that's it, this is what I want to do. And I said mm -hmm. to Todd, I would like to produce your next movie, and, you know, he was like, great. So what does that mean? And yeah, I was yeah. like, I was like, I'm not sure, but I'm gonna. So we we raised money and um, 
And you know, it was one of those situations where if we'd had any idea how difficult it was gonna be, you know, we probably wouldn't have done it. So mm-hmm. ignorance is Thank God. often you didn't know what you were doing. So it was it was a really uh, you know, it's a great experience making the movie, but I also started to get a sense of the marketplace. Now, what was also what was happening then is uh, well, the AIDS crisis was happening. Mm-hmm. So there was an incredible sense of urgency in the gay and lesbian community mm-hmm. that if we don't tell our stories right now, we're never going to get a chance to tell them. Right. So, um, so that was happening. The gay and lesbian community was also like, we need to, see, we need our stories. We need, you know, there was incredibly, incredibly marginalized, incredibly, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, it's just a very, it was, it was a crazy time. When Poison came out. It, um, it broke records at the Angelica, uh, which it held for a really long time. It doesn't hold it anymore, mm-hmm. but it did for mm-hmm. a really long time. It did something like, you know, 65, Vines around the block. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was partially because it was a, quote, gay film, mm-hmm. and partially because right before it came out, it had received a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts, and right before it came out, the American Family Association went insane, you know, and was like, this movie received, you know, your tax dollars are helping to finance this Mm -hmm. pornography, basically. So everyone went running to the theaters. Mm -hmm. So this notion that you made movies and they could make money and and your audience, all of it started to click into place to me. So, for example, it, it became clear that if you made a film that was just marketed to a gay and lesbian audience, if you made it for the right amount of money, that was okay. Like this notion of niche audiences started to sort of form, mm-hmm, right. you know, mm-hmm. and you could, and also it was very easy to locate people. It was like, you know, there used to be gay parts of town in New York. Mm-hmm. There really aren't anymore, but there really used to be. Mm-hmm. And so you'd go to that gay part of town and you'd put up your posters and you'd go to the bar and you'd pass out your flyers and, mm-hmm. and you could just, you could figure out where people were. Yeah, now it's that's all grassroots. T- well, now it's all online. Yeah. And there's so much more content, but that's a whole other. Mm-hmm. But back in those days, that was really, you know, how, how, how we did it. Uh-huh. So you pretty much learned by doing. I mean, you... I, yeah. I did, but I also, I mean, I was learning, I think... I think, you know, the distributors were learning how to... Everything move. was forming. Yeah, it was like exactly, a, exactly. Zeitgeist. And then Poison went to Sundance. Yep. And you were in a situation where your mother was ill. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you had to leave Yeah, Sundance. I stayed in Sundance just overnight. Wow. And, then and I, your first time there, right? No, no I had my short it? film there. Oh, right. Like the year before. Yes. So it was my second time there, I mm-hmm. think. So you went home. You made the decision to go home. So right. Well, I, I had I had yeah. to. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, but then the movie did really. It won the grand jury prize, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, which uh, we've never done again. I was like, oh, how hard really? can this be? Well, actually, this year, a documentary that we um, executive produced won the documentary grand jury prize. Dina. Okay. So. Okay. You know. I'm shocked. Yeah, me too. <laughs> You know, it's like, look, I've been on juries, and I know how often, like, it's often very out of whack with what, you know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. uh, people will remember, like, the, quote, best film from Cannes one year, and then it turns out, like, it didn't win anything, or it won a very right, minor prize. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Like, Carol won, like, half a Best Actress prize, <laughs> and it was easily the critics' favorite film at the mm-hmm. festival. Mm-hmm. But now, if if I said to you, well, what did win that year? You'd be like, Whoa. we were just talking about that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. what won Sundance last year? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, Dina. Yeah, <laughs> so I know, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I couldn't tell you what won the narrative prize. Mm-hmm. You couldn't, mm-hmm. and you were there. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Do you still sit on juries? And yes, yeah. I love. Well, I, what I love about sitting on juries is you get to see a dozen or so movies that. Um, you really go into with, with zero expectations. So, because now it's so hard, we know so much, like unless you see a movie the second it comes out, or mm-hmm. even if you do, the re, you know, you already know so much about it because we're all online all the time. Mm-hmm. So uh, being on a jury where you see a dozen movies that you know nothing about 
and often to come from various countries, depending on the jury, is really, it's almost like a vacation, because you just, you yeah. know, we are like, where's lover. this going to go? Yeah. You right. know, what's this about? Yeah. Like, I didn't see that coming, you mm-hmm. know? And it just seems like people are releasing, because because the campaign starts so early now, right. it seems, because of the online contingent, right. that they're releasing, you know, a teaser trailer, yep. and then there's a trailer, and then there's a the recut trailer, yep. and then you do go Do you do through... all that? Do you Are you involved yeah. in all that? Yeah, I just approved I mean, I know you're involved the, in it. I just but... approved the teaser for Wonderstruck last night. I can't so wait for that. that. So that's, yeah. your, that's your first kids movie. Right? Yeah, if oh, it family. is a kid, it's a family, yeah. family movie. Family yeah. Film. yeah, yeah. I can't wait to see. I can't that. wait either. They, Sorry. I had the Morbid Anatomy Museum in Gowanus. Uh huh. I've been there. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. 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 Oh, I went to see the kittens. <laughs> oh, Walter yeah. Potter. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but you, you guys did shoot some of the. The cabinet, right? Yeah. Right. Some Brian. of our people curated. Yeah. The, oh, really? Yeah, cool. the cabinet. Yeah. yeah. Cabinet of Wonders. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's your first. It's still art house. It's you know, I don't know considered what... Considered or no? I don't know how to answer that question exactly. I think it's a film that will appeal to a lot of people because it is, um, it's beautifully crafted. Uh, it's For, a, I love that you have made this film and it didn't wasn't in the hands of someone else. You it's, know, I mean, a look, it's really, studio. it's Todd who, you know... Really... I mean, his recreation of the '70s is and the '20s is. Just I can't. Like, I'm dying. I can't wait. Um, and there's just so many wonderful elements to it, and and it packs a really emotional punch, which is right. You know, uh, so I'm. You know, the reviews were really good out of can. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Oh, I'm so you know, happy. And it's shot that... in in black and white. Black and white and, and half, color. And color. Yes. Half and half, right? Yeah, half or maybe two-thirds, one-third. I'm not 100% yeah. sure. So you're Beautiful. getting back to Todd in the in beginning. Um, your relationship with him has gone on for such a long time. Yes. And that's I. you don't find that uh, working, people working together right. like that. Especially... But I have, you know, I'm still with my same business partner, Pam Koffler. Mm-hmm. I've been with my, uh, you know, my girlfriend for 23 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, I... I guess that's just kind of how I'm still I in New York. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, is there a loyalty to you, or I mean, do you just seek out like-minded people that you? I don't know, or if there's just that ability to sort of see a little big picture in some way. Like right now, it's rough, but it's going to get better. Uh-huh. You know, and I, when people, you know, a lot of times I think when people who are well suited to each other break up, it's because of an inability to do that. Whether they break up as partners business partners, life partners, creative mm-hmm. partners, what have you, sometimes you just have to, like, stick it out a little bit and just, like, wait for it to, you know, get mm-hmm. back to what excited you about being in it in the first place. If That's it's the right fit. Right. It isn't always. Yeah. And I think with Todd and I, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't say we, we haven't had really that many ups and downs. I mean, we've had ups and downs together, you know, where, you know, uh, like when Velvet Goldmine was released and... It was really sort of like dumped by Miramax, and that was mm-hmm. a movie that meant so much to both of us. And that was, mm-hmm. but that was something we weathered together. Right, you're like a, you you're a team, a right. unit. So, it's not like he's blaming you no. and you're blaming him, and which is often right what happens. No, and, we have a very like. There's a lot of trust. I trust him implicitly, creatively. He knows I have his back. He knows that I would never make. A suggestion to him that I don't think is for the good of the film, mm-hmm. and sometimes I we have, I have to have difficult conversations with him, and people people don't like to have those conversations right. with the director. Yeah, and people, you know, I've been on sets where it's like, well, we should tell Todd this, or we should tell Todd that, or maybe we should not. Just like, can I just walk over there and tell him the truth, which is, <laughs> you know, <laughs> wow, well, we're yeah. having a problem because the kid we have limited hours on the kid, and mm-hmm. and we still have this to shoot and so here's our choices and how do you want to handle and you know mm-hmm. right and that's just but i mean people really have a hard time having those discussions yeah. with the director yeah i mean have you you've obviously worked with so many directors yes. not just todd but yes. and you do you have that same kind of ability to well interact you know um i think so i mean with young or just not even young, just say first-time directors, because we do a fair number, of, work with a fair number mm-hmm. of first-time directors. 
And that's kind of a different kettle of fish because there what I'm trying to do is sometimes, you know, protect them from themselves to a certain degree. And that sounds condescending and I don't mean mm -hmm. it to because, you know, first time directors are exciting. They're usually making a story they've waited their whole lives to tell mm -hmm. and they and they bring a level of passion and, and commitment to it that's that's inspiring and that's why we keep doing it. But I think there's a, a, a great first-time director tends to be somebody who understands what he or she doesn't know and allows mm -hmm. people to, you know, allows the people who do know to inform them. Right. Not to take over, not to, but to inform the process. And sometimes with first-time directors, there's an insecurity that causes them to shoot themselves in the foot and, you know, <laughs> yeah. rather than seed, oh, well, maybe this person who's been doing it longer than me does know. But do you find that you're stepping into the as a director in some no. areas? No, I again more as an enabler, as an advisor, as and often the trick with a first time director is way before it's really surrounding them with the right people, uh -huh. like really you know being able right. like the right DP, yeah, right, you know, makes all the difference. The right production designer, mm -hmm. you know, the right costume designer who can who they feel they have a and we tend to curate that. I would never say to a director, here's your DP. I do say, though, here's five who we think would be really mm -hmm. great, you know, and they, you know, they can pick who they want. But so we, we curate that. And yeah. that, I think, results in a lot in See, great I think, I think, and I don't know because I, I've only sold one script, um, but I think that people gravitate towards you and respect you and want to work with you because you're all about the film. You're all about the end yes. work. There's no ego. There's, I mean, to some extent, but um, the, you're all about the product, the finished right. product. And I think people know that going in with you. Is that right? I mean, would yeah, you I'd say, say that? I'd say that's as, accurate. As opposed to where they're working with maybe more ego or more... Um, you know, Hollywood, more Look, people, more people that have to keep their jobs, well, well that, and, you know, all I that. Mean, we, That's another... We've been doing television, and so far I've had some very good experiences, but there's certainly an element of committee in television yeah. that, you know, we find ourselves tearing our hair out mm -hmm. at, about sometimes. Um, yeah, I mean, I, her, when we go see one of your films, which we see them all, all um, we know we're going to walk out with, like, our soul being fed in some mm -hmm. way. You know what I mean? So, anyway, go back to... No, that's... I mean, you know, that's the goal. Mm-hmm. I mean, we really... In, or inv we know we're investing in yeah, something a, a, that's going to give back to have us. Have you seen Beatrice yet? Not, Not yet. yet. No. That's on the list. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, really good. Yeah. I can't wait to see yeah. that. Okay. Um, is it at the Metrograph? No, I think it's at... It was at BAM. I don't know if it still is. And I'd like to see Wonderstruck at the Metrograph. Um, oh, I'm sure they'll do something with it in 35 mil millimeter at yeah. some point. Uh, and uh, Beatrice was at the Sunshine. It might still be there. Okay. I'm not sure. I like the Sunshine. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. It's about to go away. So. I know. Um, everything's yeah. going away. No, not everything. Things are popping up and okay. disappearing. <laughs> it's, it's fluid. Thank you. New York is fluid. Okay. Good. Step back from the All lunch. Right. All right. So yeah, I mean, there's a there's a there's a DNA uh, to killer films, and you can sort of when a trailer comes on, I know mm -hmm. that it's going to be one of your that you guys have had mm -hmm. a hand in it, um, and that's yeah, that's why I feel like and for a production company, yeah, I I don't I, we I don't see that in other production companies as much as you as with you. Well, we've been around for a long time. And how did that um, happen? How does that go? But then, but you've been around <laughs> for a long time. But a lot of producers have been around for a long time, and you see them, you know, floating here, going there. You right. have remained. We've just, you know, we say Pam said at one point she was like, you know, killer. We're like cockroaches. Mm -hmm. We survive every nuclear blast. <laughs> you know, we like figure out how to eat the plaster. You know. <laughs> Um, I hope that's on a copy uh, in your office. I mean, it's you know we've we've had various incarnations. I mean, we've had we had a time where the company swelled to almost eight employees because you know we had really two really good first look deals. Mm -hmm. Then the financial crisis happened and the writer strike sort of at the same time, and you know we barely held it together, and um, we've had our ups and downs. I mean, 
Pam's mother died, and it was devastating, right? It's like her second child was being born. I had cancer, like right at like mm. the most inopportune mm-hmm. moment possible. And, you know, wow. each time we sort of had to figure out, are we stepping up? Are we continuing this? Like, does it make sense for this company to continue? And there are a lot of reasons why we felt it did. And something always, like, kind of just when it looked like all was lost, something would always sort of float into the breach, and there we were, you know, like... Like right after the writer's strike and the financial crisis and when I was recovering from cancer, we set up Mildred Pierce at HBO, which was, oh, you I know, loved like, that. like there and off we were. Talk you about know? feeding the soul. Um, I loved it. And, uh, and right before that, we'd lost our office because the hedge funders on the top floor bought the whole building and got rid of us. And we were in some you know, tiny little office on the far west side before the far west side was cool. And it just was like, what are we going to do? And then Todd was like, I have an idea. And that was that. Was that. So, you know, we've, and now we have, you know, uh, David Hinojosa, who's much younger than Pam, Pam or mm-hmm. it's a Now, you know, we've gone back to being quite small again, and it's great. So, I mean, you, it seems that, you know, you're still in crisis mode. You're still operating. Think, no, we're not. We're actually very much not in crisis mode because we have a first look deal with Amazon, and that you know pays the rents. So we're not worrying about that. So I think we're really in like, you know, a very productive. Like right now, we've got Beatrice at dinner, uh, in the theaters. Mm-hmm. We wrapped yesterday, Colette about the French writer Colette, mm-hmm. uh, Wash Westmoreland's next feature. He did Still Alice. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that yeah, Kira Knightley? It's with okay. Kira Knightley and Dominic West. Mm-hmm. Uh, wrapped it yesterday in Paris. Oh, wow. Shot mostly in Budapest. Congratulations. Um, so, Congratulations. So th- uh, we have a feature that we'll hopefully be taking to the fall festivals uh, called Mercy, which is the first English language feature of a young Israeli director named Talia Zair, who did a film called Princess. Mm-hmm. Mercy stars Ellen Page and Kate Mara. We have the Paul Schrader movie uh, that we um, are just uh, finishing post on with Ethan Hawke and Amanda Seyfried, mm-hmm. a one, like I think his best film in years. And uh, we have a second season of Z, the Zelda Fitzgerald uh, series that we did for Amazon starring mm-hmm. Christina Ricci. Right. Um, <clears throat> so that, you know, the writer's room is coming together now and we'll be shooting that in the spring. Uh, is it a New York writer's room? No. Okay. Uh, okay. And then we have uh, The Noise, which is a series we're doing for Sundance, mm-hmm. uh, starring Shoshana Stern and Josh Feldman. Uh, that it's, they've written it, and it's, a, uh, it's a, a darkly comedic show about you know, a young woman in Los Angeles and her best friend who's a, a gay guy, and they're both deaf. And it's kind of how they navigate the hearing world and how it navigates them, and it's really wow. great. Yeah. So, and, and I'm that's going to be on Sundance? It's going to be on Sundance now. So that's just a, I mean, and then we've got, you know, a whole bunch of movies that are in the pipeline that might go this fall, might, you know, and every couple months Pam will say to me in a panic, talk me off the ledge, how is it possible that we're going to be doing this movie that's going to shoot in Vancouver and that movie that's going to shoot in New York in this series. Yeah, when I said crisis, I didn't mean by project because I know right. that, that there's no... How do you stay calm? But, well, you just know that it kind of works out. You know, my daughter's going off to college, which right. means that I will, you know, if I've got to, like, hop on a plane to Vancouver, it's no big deal. Mm-hmm. Pam's a little behind me with the, you know, she has a younger, uh, a 16-year-old and a 12-year-old or an 11-year-old. So I'm just like, we just, and David, you know, we just throw David on a plane anytime. <laughs> so, you know, um, like, don't get tied down. Yeah. <laughs> Did you make him sign something? Because no. <laughs> I have a template. You know, I'm not sure he's the Marian kind. So unfortunately we have to wrap up, but we could okay. talk. We, I feel like we just got started because <laughs> I, I mean, we're jumping around because in a panic. Well, if you have one get... more thing that you want to talk we, about. We, we always know. ask someone, we always ask a guest, um, what is their strange, uh, we do a strange woman throwback. Right, right. So what, who would be your strange woman throwback, someone who really influenced you and kind of made you Informed feel, yeah, you made you today. feel like, oh, okay, I don't have to really 
fit into this mold to kind of do what I want to do. It doesn't have to be in film. It could be in music or huh. whatever. Art. You know, I was, uh, I was big, very, very big into punk rock. So I think when I was exposed to women like Susie and the Banshees uh. and um, the Raincoats and just... Um, I, I remember uh, going to see The Clash at Bonds, mm -hmm. um, which was a nightclub at Times Square. And they had a different band open for them every time. And I think I went four or five times. And the, the, uh, the crowd was horrible, like Grandmaster Flash opened for them. <laughs> and the crowd was just like, you know. Yeah, and the Clash were embarrassed. They were like, oh, who are these like white, awful, like... And the raincoats opened for them one night, mm -hmm. and that was really like, oh, okay, okay like what's they this? can, yeah. 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 So, um, and in film, you know, again, it's sort of a cliche, but you know, there is that first time you see that Maya Darren movie, mm -hmm. Meshes of the Afternoon, mm -hmm. and it's just yeah. that again, that sense of like, oh, a movie can do this, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, that was a big, you know, that was definitely a big one. So, I don't know. I don't know if that's... Uh, no, that's yeah, great. You know. Fantastic. Yeah, perfect. So. Also, I did work on a movie. Um, Betty Gordon made uh, a movie called Variety that was really interesting, and I worked in the edit room of that. And, you know, she was one of the first female directors, first female narrative directors I had ever seen. And, um, and she was making a movie that was uh, very, very sexual and very much on her own terms. So that was also, you know, a big influence. Just, mm -hmm. I think for a lot of women in the film business, you know, there's that sense of like whether or not you have to ask for permission. Mm -hmm. So when you see women, when I, you know, one of the things I, I feel, because I get asked, who is, did you have a mentor? And I hate my answer, which is I didn't really. Mm -hmm. Because I think at that time there was a sense, there were so few women in the business and the women that were there were a little territorial. Like, there's only room at the table for one of us. Do you feel like that's happening now, too? I don't. I, do you? Um, yeah, I do, yeah. See, I do, I do well, to some extent. I really do. I don't feel, I, I guess I feel, I can only judge my own practice. Uh -huh. And I feel like we have tried very hard to be as inclusive as possible. And when we try harder, our movies show it. It's not mm -hmm. like... We're like, oh, this year we have a quota of, you know, one Latino right. uh, filmmaker <laughs> right. and one uh, black filmmaker. and what, It's not like that. Mm -hmm. It's just more if we open the door wider, then what comes in is more diverse and more interesting. I think that's why you, I mean, you and operate as a more evolved person than people I oh, have another, dealt with. <laughs> another movie we have about to come out in August is Lemon. Uh, which is a really perverse, wonderful comedy uh, by a woman named Janixa Bravo, mm -hmm. who, besides having the best name ever, right, is right. a wonderful <laughs> filmmaker. Yeah? And what, what is that about? Oh, Lemon. it's nutty. I can't even really... Okay. But the trail. I think they just broke the trailer, so... Okay. Uh, but it's, it's really... Mm -hmm. it's, it's really good. Yeah, still... So... I mean, you're just... You're, you're out there breaking ground, and... I mean, really, it's just... I, I just want to, like, cut your brain open a little bit and <laughs> scoop a little yeah, bit out. Yeah, scoop a little bit out. Is that the key? Do you think that's the key? Absolutely. Rosé. A good rosé. Yeah. A good rosé. A good light rosé. Yeah, but I mean, we could cut this out, but what, what I, you know, what we found um, in the mid-90s when we were music publicists um, and, you know, just to keep our sanity we started doing short films mm -hmm. and we did, you know, I just sent it out to LA film festival and it right. got in. I was like, Oh wow. Right. You know, mm -hmm. this got in and it did Edinburgh. And then we started cool. to keep going with that. And then, um, we did the IFP market. Right. Right. And I was like, okay, this is where we're going to, we make that leap. Right. We're going to make that leap. Right. Yeah. So that you hear everyone make from short films. And that's too. when speed dating <laughs> was a thing. So they tried yeah, to do a yeah, speed yeah. dating. And yeah. our partner was the Baltimore Film Office. Right. So the whole time was <laughs> right. them selling us right. Baltimore right. to shoot our feature, which we had no idea yeah. right. how to do. Right. 
Um, so, you know, it was like that situation and yeah, no I, mentor and, yeah. and there were guys like beside us that were getting three picture deals. Like off well, of... I mean, part of the thing about I I know I know I should I should go soon, but part of the oh, whole sorry. thing about um, about mentorship is is it comes down to also how if there are fewer women in the business and there are I mean, so much of what you hear, uh, you know, like that guy who makes the hundred thousand dollar first feature mm -hmm. that goes to Sundance and then suddenly he's doing. You know, superhero movie. Right, he's working mm -hmm. for Marvel. Exactly, <laughs> and what you always hear from the from their mentors is, "Oh, I loved, you know, I loved Steven's movie, and he just reminded me of me. Yeah, he reminded right. me of me yes. at that age." And if you don't have like mm -hmm. women there, they're not saying right. that about the girls because they yeah. don't remind them of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, I do think that's an element, and there is like, and there is that double standard too of like, you know, women have to be. You know, if they show any emotion, if they show any, like, you know, even when I had my my kid, I could tell, like, there was this, like, okay, like, if that kid gets in the way, well, right. you know, it is yeah. that usual, yes. you know, like, when uh, a guy comes to a meeting late and says, you know, I'm so sorry I had to take my son to soccer practice, everyone's like, oh, he's such a good dad. Yeah. yeah, yeah but yeah. if... <laughs> if if a woman comes in and says, you know, I'm so sorry, you know, yeah. I had to take my son to soccer practice. It's mm -hmm. like, yep, we knew it. Yeah. We knew right. she'd have that yeah. kid. And suddenly yeah. it's all about the kid and it's not about the movie. Right. And it needs to be all about the She's movie. She's a mom now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. so, it does feel daunting. Mm -hmm. All of that said, there's so many great, uh, you know, and I, and I, I try to not use the word filmmaker because we're doing so many, we're telling stories in so many different right. ways, so many different exactly. platforms. So there are so many young content makers that are women that are really doing extraordinary things. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, that's, you know, that gives me a lot of hope. Mm -hmm. And we're making a lot of their content. Right. You're so, the patron saint of... So that feels, that feels really good. Yeah. And so. what do you think about the ageism? I mean, like Meryl Streep and her, you know, screenwriting group for women over 40. I think that's great. I mean, I think it's really, you know, there's a lot of women who come to it later because they've had, because they have raised families mm -hmm. or they've had they to support the families experience. or, yeah. you know, so I think it's great. Like she made the, uh, the Sundance finals with a script I made her pull an all-nighter for in 97 <laughs> and then started writing novels, you know. Right. And is going to revisit that, yeah. but it's you know, yeah. But you know, I I, I don't feel like I'm too old to write that. Forty six, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, all right. My son's downstairs with his mouth taped shut. <laughs>